<clears throat> up until this point in the book of Romans, Paul has written to both Jews and Gentiles, both saved and lost. He's written to atheists and Christians about the gospel. That is the theme of the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, it's the best news you'll ever read anywhere. When you get to uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Romans, if you remember, we learn that there is one God and we're in trouble with him. Okay? We are sinners. We sin against him. We rebel against him. Our, we're, we're messed up. You get to, it says chapters 1 and 2. It should be 1 to 3. Chapter 4 comes along and it says sinful people. The principle of those two chapters is that sinful people can be made right, can be pardoned, forgiven, can be justified, not by works, not by religion, but by faith. Yeah. Uh, you get to chapter 6. And you find out the crucifixion that the world thinks is a is a is a failure and defeat. You find out it's victory. Chapter chapter six uh, is nothing but we are the winners because of what Christ did. His death, burial, and resurrection won. We get to chapter seven and eight, and you find out we are more than conquerors. We find out that uh, even though my flesh and your flesh, our old nature. That part of us that still loves to sin, even though that my flesh still fights me, I am more than a conqueror. I am more than able now, not by my own strength, but I'm more than able now to walk on and to not give into temptation. I am a victor over sin, temptations, and the power of this world, even though uh, the world tries to terrify me and the devil tries to terrify us. I actually, the moment I decide to serve God, I terrify the devil. We are more than conquerors. And we learn in chapter 8 that Jesus Christ is perfecting us. Now, we may not look like it on the outside, but he, he, he perfects us into the image of Jesus Christ. It is guaranteed. You cannot lose salvation. You cannot derail the work of God. You can slow it down by being stupid, but he will finish the work that he began, began in us. So that's quite a book, isn't it? Romans is amazing there. And you think... But by chapter 8, you get to chapter the end of chapter 8, you'd go, we should end it right there, man. Let's just finish up chapter 8, put a, put a period there, and close the book. But God's not finished. You see, he wasn't finished explaining the gospel. I would say by the time you finish chapter 8, there's enough in there to keep you occupied and blessed and encouraged for 10 lifetimes. But the Holy Spirit said, Paul, keep writing. There is something more people need to understand. You see, uh, with all of the talk about the gospel and about Jesus and about sinful people, Paul needed to explain about God's purpose for the Jewish people. You see, he's going to answer, is God all finished with the Jews? And I want you to take a step back and remember in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, the church was filled with Jews. That the first Christians were Jewish believers. And uh, uh, tens of thousands of Jews repented, turned from their religion, turned from their self-righteousness, and they were clinging to Jesus Christ as their Messiah and Savior. But then the Gentiles started getting saved. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And the Jews started tapering off. And the numbers started going Gentiles and the Jews started going fewer and fewer and fewer getting saved. 
all over the Middle East and Southern Europe. There were churches everywhere. There were Jews in them, but there were a lot of these Gentiles, a lot of these non-Jews. Um, and, and they were getting saved and they were loving Jesus Christ. They were singing and it was becoming common thinking to believe that God was and is through with the Jews and that Christianity had replaced the Jews as the people of God. So Paul, for the next three chapters, now you understand when he devotes three chapters to some is because there's a lot of confusion. You want to go and read the book of Corinthians and you'll find out about a, about a church that was very confused about things. Paul had to write an entire book trying to untangle people's confusion. But these three chapters are written to explain what happened to the Jewish people and why. And then he'll going to explain to us in these three chapters how they will one day be saved as a people and restored as a special nation above all other nations in the world as was planned by God. Listen to Paul as we go to chapter 9 and verse 1 to 5. <clears throat> I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. Listen to those words. Paul saying, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness. And look at these next two words. Continual sorrow in my heart. That's depression. That's somebody who just when they when they thought about this thought, it brought them low. He says, continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself, that my life were accursed from Christ for my, what's the next word? Look at it. My kinsmen according to the flesh, who are who? Who's he burdened about? The Jews. So I could wish that I could go to hell so they could be saved. They who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Um, these next three chapters are going to prove that Israel is a nation with or without borders. Don't you think? I mean, for the last 2,000 years, since, since about 70 A.D. and 135 A.D., Israel's been without borders. But it's going to prove that uh, Israel is still part of God's plan. And even though they're not yet saved, they are still his special people. And people, you have problems with that. Just become a Bible believer. And the problem's not, not with the Bible. <laughs> the problem's with us, especially Gentile. These three chapters are going to prove that the physical nation of Israel has, has not been replaced by Christians at all, but are proof for the existence of God, proof of the faithfulness of God, proof that the promises of God can and will always come true. You start to do away with Israel, you're going to do away with the promises of God. So if you want to call believing this as heresy, you can do that all you want. I call it Bible. So we're going to start there in verse 1 and 2. I want you to see Paul's burden. We just read it, but I want you to see this is absolutely mind-boggling what he says. Listen to the Apostle Paul again in verse 2, verse 1 and 2. I say the truth in Christ. I'm speaking as a Christian. I'm actually speaking as if Christ was here speaking. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. What's he doing? He's setting the reader up for the fact that Paul knows he's entering into dangerous territory. He's going to be saying something that the audience is going to think, oh, Paul's just making this up. Paul's just trying to, 
trying to say something to appease some group of people. He's not, a, he's not pleasing anybody by saying this. As a matter of fact, this is going to upset a lot of people. He says, verse 2, he goes on and he says, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow. Those are two descriptions. Great heaviness means it weighs on me. Do you hear that word? That's where we get the word burden. Do you have a burden for anybody but your own self? Do you care about people going to hell? Paul says, I have a heavy burden over my people going to hell. Where does this feeling come from? Now, I'm going to be real plain. Paul was not worried about stocks and bonds and cryptocurrency. Wasn't he worried about economies or economics? He was not worried about politics or food prices. He wasn't worried about climate change or the weather. Paul cannot escape how he feels about Israel. He has great heaviness for Israel, not against it. I mean, there are people, <laughs> there are people in my life that have hurt me. And if I met them on the street, my natural inclination is to go another way. Amen. Because just their presence, I don't want to be near them. You know what I'm talking about? Now you got to get over that. You got to forgive them. You got to love them. I understand all that. But I'm going to tell you, I know what it's like to be in great heaviness against somebody. Paul says, I have great burden and sorrow for somebody. I am burdened about them. His heart hurt. His heart hurt for a people because they had rejected their Messiah and that they were lost. Do you ever, I'm going to jump ahead for a moment. Is there anybody in your life that you know they ought to be saved? You know they, they, they know the truth, they've been witnessed to, and yet they're not. Doesn't that, doesn't that burden you? You have, you have demonstrated to them the truth of the Bible. You've shown them that God can take somebody and can change their life. You've proved to them by scripture that they need to get born again and they brush you off and you go, you don't, can you imagine going, well, <laughs> then it's on your head, dude. I'm not caring about you anymore. That's not Christian. That's how Paul feels, but on a national scale. He actually says, I'm not lying about this. This is, this is getting to Paul. He says, this just overwhelms me. This affects me emotionally. And it's a surprising attitude for Paul to have. Why? Why would he be very sad about a failed nation? Israel was a failed nation. If you ever know anything about Jewish history, they are just one series of failures, okay? I mean, they, just, they, they have a track record of 98% against God and 2% time for God. It's like that's a failed nation. They weren't even, they weren't even running their own politics. <clears throat> they were occupied territory by the Romans after being occupied territory by the Greeks, after being occupied and the Romans, after being occupied and controlled by the Babylonians, and pre previously before that by the Assyrians in the north, they are a failed nation. Yet he was concerned about a nation so tiny, insignificant. When you look at, when you look at uh, a map of the Middle East, it's a small country. I mean, you could fit, I don't know how many, five Israels inside of Ireland, four Israels. It is, to, if you crammed them all in there, it's, it's a tiny little nation. A spit on the map is what we would say. 
in the middle of the Middle East. And yet Paul's burdened about him. The truth is so many Gentiles were enjoying salvation and the promises of God being fulfilled and the blessings of God and their walk with Christ. But there was one people that was not. That was Paul's burden. He said, these Gentiles are getting saved right and, letter, right and left. There are, there are some Jews who are getting saved and it's wonderful. But my brethren, the people of Israel are lost. So here's Paul, and he's concerned about a stubborn, rebellious, wicked nation. They're a messed up people. Uh, if you ever do go to Israel, I've never gone. Uh, but if you ever do go to Israel, you can do one of two things. You can stay on the tour and go see all the Christian sites, or you can get off the tour, and you'll find out just how wicked that nation is and how those people live and, and how they, they, they just hate you and they hate God. <laughs> But Paul is concerned about his nation. For most of the 4,000 years of their history, they have rejected their own prophets. They killed them. They struggled with paganism and idolatry, and they rarely walked with God. That's a funny thing for God to call them his people. The worst thing about it was that this nation of Israel rejected and murdered their own Messiah. Acts chapter 3. You're Romans. Go back to the left. Find Acts chapter 3 and verse 14. Acts 3.14. <clears throat> There's no sugarcoating this. Acts chapter 3 and verse 14. This is Peter up there preaching. Man. Like a hurricane. But ye, speaking at a crowd of thousands of very stubborn, hard-headed, rebellious Jews, he says, but ye denied the Holy One and the just one, talking about Jesus, and you desired, instead of Jesus, you desired a murderer to be granted unto you, which was Barabbas, if you remember. And he killed the prince of life. That's what he calls Jesus. He says, you killed the giver of life. Hmm. Whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses. And truly, if, if, if Peter, looking out of that crowd, calling you a bunch of murderers, and Paul, knowing the attitude of Israel against Jesus, who would share a tear for them? Who would care for Israel? And listen to Paul again. I'm going to read it. Go back to, well, no, I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 2. While you're doing that, I'm going to read again Romans chapter 1. I say the truth in Christ. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I lie not, my conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. That's his people. And this reminds me of a man named Jeremiah in your Old Testament. Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. It's kind of interesting how Paul and Jeremiah are like two sides of the same coin. They are twins. If there's anybody that Paul patterned his life after as a preacher, it was Jeremiah. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read a bit of scripture here. Watch me. Follow me down. Jeremiah chapter 2. In your mind, get this idea. Israel is surrounded. Sorry. Jerusalem is surrounded by an army from Babylon. There are 
tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of soldiers that have surrounded Jerusalem and they're starving out the last remnants of Israel. And Jeremiah sitting there watching the king, arrogantly thinking they will go away. God's going to bless us. God is not going to let any bad thing happen to us. And Jeremiah, watch him talk. He says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. I want you to go preach right from street to street saying, thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. The kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousal. When thou, speaking to Israel, went after me, when you loved me, God says, back in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. You got nothing in the wilderness. I took care of you. Verse three, Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And the first fruits of his increase, they were proof. All that devour him shall offend God. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Now watch, he says, that was back when you came out of Egypt. Verse four, hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? What problem do you have with me? That they are gone far from me. Why'd they leave me? And have walked after vanity and are become vain. Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts and of pits, through the land of drought and of the shadow of death? They never asked, where did God go? They, did, they forgot God. Jump, jump down to verse 11. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people. No, don't forget those words. What is, what is God calling Israel? My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of the living waters, and they've hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've replaced me. Verse uh, 14. No, jump down to, uh, um, go down to, go back to chapter 2 in verse 32. Uh, we're in verse chapter 2. Don't just jump down to verse 32 for time. 32. Can a maid, a young woman, forget her ornaments? Huh. She's headed out of the house. What's she going to do? She's going to put on her jewelry. She's going to uh, dress herself up nice. Can a woman forget to get dressed? It says, or can a bride forget her attire? You're getting married. What are you going to do? You're going to focus on how you're going to look on the day of your wedding. That's all normal. Can, will they actually do that? Verse 32 goes on. Yet my people have forgotten me <laughs> days without number. Now go to chapter 4. Still in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 19. Listen to Jeremiah and you'll hear the same words as Paul, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 19. My bowels, that's a word for my gut. My bowels, my bowels. He is bowled over in, 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 a, in a, not a physical thing, but an emotional feeling that has gripped him. I've seen people, and you can see it, you know, when, when, when somebody dies unexpectedly and they, they just bow over, bow over in, in agony, in pain, in their deepest belly. 
It says, my bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of what? He says, my heart is broken because I can hear the sound of the army surrounding Jerusalem. Verse 20, destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment, all the beautiful things that you'd have in your home. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? How long am I going to watch this war? For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children. Now, I want to be real honest with you. You know what sottish means? It's an old word. It's a proper word for saying stupid. My people are stupid people. They are dull. They're not thinking people. They are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. Don't you dare take up the theory that because Israel is wicked and they've rejected God that they stopped being God's people. The Bible just says, my people forget me. My people are stupid. They are dull. They don't think about me. They don't care about, but they are still God's people. Can you shake your head and go, ah, okay. And what is Jeremiah doing? He's crying. He is aching. He says, and they're ruined. Now that was in, that was in the 600 AD, uh, 600 BCs. <laughs> They weren't fully ruined. They were back there. You find them in, in Jesus' day. They're still there, and they're still here now. <clears throat> um, Jeremiah 4. I've got to show you this one. Verse 14. Back to verse 14 says this. <clears throat> oh, Jerusalem. What is what is What does Jeremiah wish? Jeremiah is not like a lot of modern-day preachers I know who want Jerusalem destroyed and want Jerusalem forgotten because of how wicked they are. Verse 14 says, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be what? How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? Jeremiah wishes for wicked Israel to be saved. He doesn't want them to be destroyed. I hope your worst enemy is prayed for by you. I hope you're not an arrogant modern Christian who looks at people and judges and says they don't deserve salvation and they don't deserve to be saved and they don't deserve another chance. Only good people like me deserve the chance to be saved. You ought to slap yourself. Amen. You ought to read one book, one book called the Book of Lamentations, and you'll see a man weeping through it all for Israel. His name is Jeremiah. So when you read this in, Jer in, in Romans about Paul saying, I have continual sorrow for my people. You can get a picture. You can get a bit of a taste of it. You see, very few people today, and I think it's very strange that we have all these, quote, Bible believers, and they, have, they don't have Paul's attitude about Israel. You know whose attitude they have? Jonah's. <laughs> you know what? When God said, I'm going to have, God talked to Jonah, and he's talking just like you and I. Jonah, I got to destroy Nineveh. That's what he said. You know what Jonah went? Good riddance. And then God said, Jonah, I need you to go and give them 40 days of grace. I need you to go and warn them to repent and to turn so I don't have to destroy them. You know what Jonah said? No. I don't like the Ninevites. They don't like me. They hate you. 
And Jonah argued with God and he ran the other way. And people do that. When I ask for people to come for soul winning, they go, well, I might end up with some, I might meet somebody I know. <laughs> yeah, that's very convicting, isn't it? Very humbling. You might meet them at the door or meet them somewhere. And all of a sudden you have to be Christian and not just a buddy buddy. Do you care about their soul? Paul cared. It's very strange. Much of modern Christianity is filled with podcasts and preaching and teaching, saying that there are no Jews anymore and that the Jews in Israel are imposters. Many go so far as to say that the nation of Israel has not only been rejected by God, but is cursed by God. You know, you know where that comes from? That comes from hell. Uh, throughout history, people have a major problem with understanding God, me included. But the question is, why would God commit himself to people who are not committed to him? Ponder that for a minute. I know way too many people who look at the Jews and they throw up, they mock, they sit in judgment of them as a nation, believing they're not God's people anymore, and that they forfeited their place in God's plan and his will. And they just say, well, those Jews are reprobate. They're destined for hell because they crucified their own Messiah. I hope you realize that you put Christ on the cross as much as they did. If I remember correctly, it was everyone, Jew and Gentile, that wanted Jesus dead. Modern Christians joined with Martin Luther, who had a hatred of Jewish people like you wouldn't believe. He, he was a great reformer. But he was wrong about the Jews, and he stirred up, you're talking about original anti-Semitism, he stirred up the murder of countless thousands of Jews because he said, God's all through with the Jews. You be careful about what you hear from a pulpit. Amen. Adolf Hitler, do you really want to be on his side of the argument saying God's all through with the Jews? Roman Catholic Church hated the Jewish people for a thousand years. Is that who you're in bed with? Many modern Reformed Christians in churches like the Presbyterians and Anglicans, many of them say that God is all through with the Jewish people. I can give you 100 quotes. God's all through with them. They believe God's thrown away Israel, divorced himself from them because of their rejection of the Messiah and replaced his people with popes and monsignors and canons and TV evangelists. You think God would do that? Too many people have the wrong idea. Paul doesn't share any of that opinion. The truth is, Israel was supposed to receive Christ. They were supposed to get saved. They were supposed to, to welcome him, to, to receive him. If they had done that, the last 2,000 years would have been done. <clears throat> you know, Matthew 121, we quoted at Christmas. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? Not because he will save people from their sin. You know what the Bible says? He will save his people from their sins. Don't forget that. <clears throat> Jesus, when he came, who'd he spend his, his life with and spent most of his, well, all of his three and a half years with, who did he preach and love and weep over? Jews. Now, just because they personally rejected him and murdered him, that means that, let me just get to this point, Israel is now set aside, watch these words, for a while. Yes, Israel rejected Jesus in spite of all the evidences. I mean, Jesus proved who he was. Patiently, carefully, talking about forbearance, he put up with their constant attack, and yet he kept right on showing who he was. 
his miracles, the prophecies, the fact he was born in Bethlehem, the uh, fact that his ministry was up in Galilee and not down in Jerusalem, everything was laid out already in the scriptures. They were, uh, Israel has been, there's no doubt, and, and anybody who's living away from God, anybody who's living in rebellion against God, you're, you're in trouble with God. You're under the wrath of God, amen. But as, as, as judged by God, Israel has been, they have not been divorced from him. They have not been divorced. They've been just set aside. Israel's rejection of the Messiah and the destruction as a nation was predicted by Jesus. He already said, every one of these stones are going to be knocked down. It all happened in 70 AD. He, it wasn't, listen, you say, well, look, they rejected Jesus. Jesus said they would. He knew it. So it's not like, well, they blew it. No, it's all part of God's plan, and they're coming back. <clears throat> I mean, you read Luke 19, Luke 21, Matthew chapter 23. Daniel spent half a chapter in Daniel chapter 9 talking about Israel going away from God in the future. But at no time do you find God saying that Israel was done for and would be replaced. God doesn't have multiple wives. The truth is, go to Romans now, back to Romans chapter 11 in verse 15. The Jewish people will be saved. <clears throat> Romans chapter 11 in verse 15. Romans eleven fifteen. For if the casting away of them, the Jewish nation, not individuals, don't think that God throws away people, but as a group, God had to put them aside. And he says, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. What's he saying? He'll we'll get it when we get to Romans chapter 11. One of the benefits of the stubbornness and, and, and Israel being set aside was so that all the Gentiles could get in, so that we could enjoy the, the blessings of salvation. But watch what Paul says. If, uh, I forget my verse, where is it? Verse 15. If the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them be? <laughs> But life from the dead, you say, well, those Jews, they don't want God. He's going to resurrect them. You ought to read Ezekiel 38. You ought to see how God will make a nation appear in one day. The Jewish people will be saved. Don't skip over all the promises that God has given to save that same rebellious, murderous nation. If you want proof that God can save your stubborn, rebellious, wicked husband, read Israel. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this, what's he called it? Mystery, which means it's hard to grasp. Don't be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own. This is modern conceit, arrogance. Put the word arrogance there. Lest ye be wise or puffed up in your own conceits. That Don't forget about the blindness in part is happened to Israel until, circle the word, it's not finished. The fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Verse 26. How far am I going? Yeah, verse 26. And so all Israel shall be, say it with me, saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. It their sins. Now, he already took away my sins 43 years ago, but he's going to take away their sins. 
Verse 28, as concerning the gospel, what are they? They hate you. They hate the gospel. They are the enemies of the cross. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But touching the election, they are still what? Beloved of God for the fathers, for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for the promise that God made to them, they still are beloved. So it, it, the Jewish people will be saved. Not just that, they're going to be restored as a kingdom. Israel is going to be back, not only right with God, but they will be the head nation in the millennial kingdom. See, God doesn't have favorites. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. The Jewish people. And if you can't handle that, the problem is you want you to be. You're like a younger brother wanting to be the favorite in the family when the older brother's got it. And the older brother is Israel. And Israel doesn't like you being in the family, but we is, but they have a special place. And the moment you learn that, the moment you'll be able to sit back and go, whoo, I'm just glad to be in the family. Amen? Amen. We need a bunch of Christians who will stop trying to be superior to Israel and better than Israel. Be like Christ who gave his life for Israel. Amen? Do you get that? Paul's own brethren. Go back to Romans chapter 9. <clears throat> Listen to how he describes them. For I could wish that myself were accursed from, uh, from Christ, that means damned, for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, last part, who are Israelites. You know what he's describing? Unsaved, ungodly people. Lost, wicked, unbelieving, unspiritual Jews. Those, those words upset people. You mentioned the word Jew and you get, you get stoned. He's not referring to other Christians as Israel. He's not referring to the people to people in general either. He's not even referring to the elect. You try and put the word elect in there. Continual sorrow for somebody who's guaranteed to get saved. Come on. He's just he's just burdened for Israel. Let me tell you who the Israelites are not. They're not believers. They are not believers in the Messiah. They're not Bible believers. They refuse to believe their own Bible. I've had the chance to witness to several Jews in my Christian life. And they all, when I show them Isaiah 53, they go, no, I don't believe it. You go, but it says, it's right there. They are wicked. You ever meet a Jew, most Jews, 999 times out of 100? They're not, that all, they're not all mean. But boy, you start talking about the Bible and they will chew your head off. They will say things that will make you just cringe. They make wrong decisions as a nation. And they often need to be rebuked. As a matter of fact, many Jewish people are atheists, diehard, man, desperate atheists. And if they're not atheists, they believe a false religion that has replaced the Bible so they don't have to worship in their temple anymore because <laughs> they know they're failed. Let me tell you what they are. They are genetically, ethnically, and nationally still Israel. They are Paul's people. Now, I got, I got a question for you. Let me just take, get you an understanding of that. If I asked you how many of you are Nigerian, some of you could raise your hand. Uh, how many of you are Irish? You can put your hand up, <clears throat> you know, and yeah, there goes. Amen. And if I said, how many of you are Ukrainian? Amen, right? And if I started showing you pictures of what's going on in Ukraine, you know what the Ukrainians do? They start to be burdened about their people, wouldn't they? 
I start showing you pictures about what goes on up the Boko Haram up in northern Nigeria and all of the civil war going on over there. Every Nigerian in here, their heart would break. They go, I can't go home. And uh, South African, I show you, start showing you stuff going on in politics down there and the kind of abuse that farmers get and the kind of, of twisted politics that is destroying that nation. People, South Africans start crying saying, that's my people, you understand? Those are my people. And it breaks their heart. That's how Paul felt. He says, those are my people. They're wicked. They've made their own bed and they ought to be forgotten about, but God can't forget about, forget about them and neither can I. Kinsmen, they're genetically related to me. They are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't have to have borders. They don't have to have a country. I talked about wandering Jew for the last thousand years, 1,500 years. They still were Jews. According to the Bible, they are very special people. I'll show you this next week. They are a peculiar, Paul, uh, uh, God calls them a peculiar, which means set apart. They are people different than the rest of the world. So listen to all the things that Paul describes the Israelites as being and having, even though they're spiritually lost. <laughs> Romans chapter 9, verse 4. He declares them. They are Israelites to whom pertaineth eight things. Watch this. The adoption and the glory and the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and what's the next word? <clears throat> Boy, <clears throat> when you start to hear people say, that uh, and they did it during the Crusades. Jerusalem belongs to the church. Jerusalem belongs to the church, and they tried to get rid of all the Muslims down there. And they 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 went like seven or eight times down there trying to kick the Muslims out and trying to take over Jerusalem, make it into a Christian city. Jerusalem belongs to Israel. Jerusalem is the city of God, not of Allah, and not of Rome. It says belongs the promises. Uh, uh, giving of the, um, the promises, verse, verse 5, whose are the fathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of them, and of whom concerning the flesh, concerning their Jewish flesh, Christ came. You know what's unusual to me is that modern-day Christians don't believe Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> he can't be a Jew. He's a Christian. No, he's a Jew. <laughs> of their flesh came Christ, who is overall God-blessed forever. You think about that. The adoption as a nation. Israel was adopted by God as a nation. He calls them his son. They experienced the adoption. I mean, they, they own that. No other nation in this world is a Christian nation. No other nation in this world is God's people like Israel. They enjoyed the glory of God, man. They, they saw it at Mount Sinai. They saw it leading Israel by day as a... As a cloud by day and a fire by night. They saw the glory appear in and on the tabernacle and the widows. They experienced the glory of God. They are the recipient of God's covenants. A covenant is a solemn promise. If you ever get married, Gleb, you're going to be making a covenant. You're not just making a promise. You're making an agreement. This woman is going to be the focus of my life and going to be uh, the the um, uh this is this is this is till death do us part. We're not just making a trial before we buy. We're not just doing something until it gets hard. And God made um, Abrahamic covenants and Davidic covenants and Mosaic covenants, and they all belong to Israel.
they're the recipient of God's covenants. They're also the source of the law. You want to, you know, <clears throat> I, I kind of freak people out. But you know, that book is a Jewish book written by Jews about a Jewish Messiah. And I get to read about it and find out he wants to be my Messiah too. I'm not a Jew. <clears throat> I mean, I've never been to Israel. <laughs> um, all I know is that he loves me and he wants me and hallelujah, I'm in. But that book was written by Jewish writers um, and, and the laws of God and everything in there was Jewish. You, you want to understand the Bible, get in the mindset of a Jew. And you learn that thing and you find out that everything about that is not about me. It's mainly about God and his people. And I'm just brought alongside like an adopted kid and saying, you enjoying it? I'm just enjoying it, Lord. <laughs> I'm just glad to be part of the family. So they're the source of all, every good law that every government ever decides. They get it from the Bible, whether they know it or not. They show us how to perfectly worship the service of God. How do you worship God? Read Leviticus. You have to do it perfectly. Do you know how I worship God? In the name of Jesus Christ, he did it perfectly. Amen? Amen. You got to understand God is holy. And if you want to worship God, you better do it right. And if you can't do it right, you better have somebody who can do it for you. His name is Jesus. <laughs> But they show you how to perfectly worship God. To them belong all the promises. They gave us the fathers. From them came this genealogy of special people that brought us all the way down to the Messiah. That's who the Israelites are. So next time you start to feeling like, well, they, 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 what is God interested in them for? I don't know. I just know this. He looked at them and said, I love them. God looked at those people and he says, I'm committed to them. God looked at those people and says, I'm going to use them. And I realized that's what he said to me. He loves me. He's committed to me. And he wants to use me. So next time you're quick to judge the Jews, slap yourself. Because that's the proof that God means it when he says things. So Paul is not saying the Jews are gone, cursed, or removed from God's plan. Israel is forever. Go to Jeremiah chapter 31 again. Jeremiah is a great book to study about. Paul's feelings and about the Israel. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35. Jeremiah 31, 35. Just three verses here. Going to try to wrap this up very quickly. Roman, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day. Aren't you glad he gives us the sun? And the ordinances of the moon, he put them in place, all the laws that govern them, and the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. He does all that. Verse 36. If those ordinances, write these down, laws of physics, if those ordinances depart from before me, if they, if they quit, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me for how long? You notice the seed of Israel, not just followers of God. I'm a follower of God. I'm not a seed of Israel. I got adopted into the family. They're, they're natural born. And he says, if the sun ever decides not to rise <laughs> and stop shining, that'll be the day that Israel will stop being my people. Verse 37, thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations there searched out beneath. I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. He knows what they've done. 
and he will not cast them off. Not forever. Now listen to these words. I got to finish this up. Listen to what Paul almost wished. <laughs> I call it Paul's almost wished wish, and we will finish. Romans chapter 9 and verse 3. Because this, I got to give you this his heart before we finish. And, and, and there, anybody in this room who's a mom can relate to this when your son or your daughter, baby, or two year old, three year old is sick and um, they, they're, they're struggling to breathe, they got mucus or they got a high fever. You know what? Now, men, I don't know. <laughs> Men are kind of numb. They kind of just go, oh, he'll get over it. He'll, he'll be fine unless it's your firstborn. But a wife, or, I mean, sorry, a mom will look at that kid. You know what that woman's thinking? They wish they could swap places. They wish they could take that sickness on themselves and give them their health. That's a mother. Now watch what Paul says in Romans 9, verse 3. I could wish. He's not wishing it. <laughs> it's a wish he could wish. I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for those wicked, stubborn brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Think about what he's, he, he wishes that he could go to hell so they could go to heaven. How serious are you about how lost this world is? I look at people and I go, they've got the wrath of God coming on them. Amen. But you know, Jesus Christ and Paul never looked at a at a people and said, good riddance. Jesus, when he died on that cross, you know, the men who nailed him to that tree and who mocked him and spat on him and beat him and whipped him and tore flesh off of him and put him up and hung him up between heaven and earth at the, at the urging of the Pharisees and at the commandment of Pilate, Jesus hung on that cross and he said, Lord, Father, forgive them. Forgive the people who treated him that way. He could have said, get him, Father. <laughs> yeah. Thank God he didn't. Paul wished that he could be the curse and they could be saved. Because he knew the wrath of God on them. But he's only wishing. <laughs> it's kind of cute. He says, I could wish, which means hmm. he remembered somebody else already had been a curse. So Israel could be saved. It's Jesus. You may not understand it. You may not even like any of this. That's why Paul was so burdened about those people. It's because he knew what it meant to be without Christ, and he didn't want his own people without it. Paul was wishing that he could go to hell in place of his people. Um, I have a lot to say. i got to finish. Um, this is how burdened Paul was. Are you ready? Do you get burdened about anybody? Does anybody you talk to and give a gospel to, does it break your heart that they take it and they crumple up and throw it away? Does it break your heart that when you try to win them with tears and with compassion and time and you're giving your time and you spend time with them, you show them the Bible or you pray for them, agonizing over them, and they just laugh at you? Does it make you angry or does it break your heart? We're wrong. As wicked and as lost as the world is, we're wickeder because we don't care. We need to repent of believing that there are people who deserve to be saved. 
And there are people who deserve to go to hell. We all deserve to go to hell. Just because somebody looks like you, sounds like you, smells like you, doesn't mean they deserve to be saved and everybody else different doesn't. The fundamental racism is in soul winning. Do we look at somebody and look beyond their skin, look beyond their education, look beyond their religion, look beyond their nationality and see a soul? Do you have any burden? Next week, I gotta, I'm going to talk to you about Paul's battle with ignorance. <laughs> He's going to explain where the Jews are and how we're supposed to look. It's very important. What's the point? Let me just run through this. I'll give you more next week. To he, Paul's trying to get Christians to pray for and to love and to bless the Jewish people because God does. Not because I like them, because I have best friends with them, not because they're great in any way at all. If he loves them, I better love them. You know why I love you? Because Jesus loves you. Jesus said, love one another. Thomas too? Not Tom, but Thomas. <laughs> yeah, you have to love Thomas, doubting Thomas. You got to love Peter. You got to love, <clears throat> because I have loved you. Amen. And so Paul's writing this thing, secondly, to remind us we owe so much to Israel. I'll show this to you next week. We couldn't figure, I wouldn't understand the Christian life if I wouldn't read my Bible and watch an Israel mess it up and struggle with it. They are an example to me, and they are a blessing to me because every good thing in my life is because of them. Uh, the gospel began with and is for the Jews first, to the Jew first, and also to the to the Texans. Amen. <laughs> we need to learn from them. Paul's going to tell us that we need to watch them. You want to watch? You want to know where world things happen and and uh, big, you know, uh, events happen? Watch Israel. Don't watch Moscow. You know, Ukraine. As terrible as that is, it's a diversion. American politics, as stupid as that is, it's a diversion. Watch Israel. And we need to win them to Christ. That is Paul's goal, is to get a bunch of Gentile believers to start to try and win the Jews again. Amen? So I'm ashamed, and I had to write this, but I'm ashamed how little I weep over the lostness of people. There are people that I do greatly care about and then broken over but it's not much and when i'm witnessing to people i just really often go through the motions i don't think paul did that i'm going to take it a little further we not only need to care about people we need to care about god's people we need to weep over how lost they are how much they've been given i mean they re they speak Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. They speak Hebrew, and they don't know it. We start praying for Israel to be saved. Just start there. Pray for Jewish men and women to discover their Messiah has come. And then ask yourself, when was the last time you actually cared about anybody but yourself? Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. I wonder if, Lord, you would put somebody on our heart, anybody in this room. We've all got 
sons and daughters, brothers, sisters, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, friends who are unsaved. Would you put one of them on our heart so that we can be burdened about them, so that we can care for their soul, so we'd worry that if they died tonight, where would they go? Knowing most probably they would step, step off into eternity, into a into a, a devil's hell. And they shouldn't. They don't have to. They could be saved if somebody would care. Make me care. I can't just pray for somebody to be saved anymore. I have to pray that, God, you would use me to lead them to you so they be saved. And then when we think about Israel, and it's funny, every day in the news, Israel, 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 and we're not praying for them, Father. It's a prayer reminder of the highest degree, and we don't care. Help us to be burdened for your people. You stepped into this world, and they received your, they did not receive your son. They received him not. But that was okay. Because you're still going after them. You are, as we read in our memory verse, you are good, you are forbearing, and you are long-suffering, and you're trying to lead even the Jewish people to repentance. Like you did us. So as we start this year, and we start these next three chapters going through Romans and start talking about the Jews, help us throw away everything we've thought and figured, help us just hear your word and let it break our heart instead of harden our heart. If there's anybody in this room who's heard this message and wondered, what does it all mean for me? It means that Jesus Christ loved a stubborn, hard-headed, arrogant people enough to die for them. And that means he did it also enough for you and the whole world. And he's waiting for you to cry out and say, save me. With every head and every eye closed, please, if you're not saved, you can be saved today. You can get ahead of Israel. You can just believe Jesus is Savior of your soul. Don't just make it a head knowledge. Make it a heart knowledge. Let it affect you. If you've got any questions, come talk to me. But, Father, please bless what we've learned today in Jesus' name. Amen.